0: UX Podcast, Episode 200. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, Pat Oxbom And James Roy Lawson.
1: With listeners in 180 countries. And to celebrate our 200th episode, here they all are in glorious alphabetical order.
0: Albania. Algeria. Andorra. Angola. Anonymous Proxy. Antigua and Barbuda. Argentina.
2: Welcome to episode 200 of UX Podcasts. We are your hosts. I'm Anna Dalstrom, And I'm Lisa Welchman. Today,
3: we're going to be talking to James Royal Lawson and Per Oxum and we're going to be talking about UX podcast. It is the 200th episode. We're going to find out everything there is to know and what's going to happen in the future. Will there be a UX podcast episode 400? Listen in and you'll find
0: out. Venezuela. Vietnam. The British Virgin Islands. The US Virgin Islands. Zambia. Zimbabwe. And the Orland Islands.
2: Episode two hundred, guys. This is big. How are you guys feeling?
1: I, I'm actually nervous. Yeah. I, I've never been nervous for an episode of UX Podcast before. Oh, actually, no. The one episode I was nervous for, and that was the Christmas episode last year when we did um, the, the 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 panel game quiz show.
0: Oh yeah, because that was your idea, and if it failed, it was on you. <laughs> Yes, it was going to be completely on my head. And you've actually interviewed me once, and, and that was the first time I was, I was nervous. And I'm pretty nervous today as well. Oh.
3: What are the nerves about, do you think?
0: We're on the receiving end of the questions, uh, which means we have no control. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's almost certainly down to a lack of control, I think.
3: Okay, fair enough. We'll, we'll be good, on good and soft on you. How's that? Maybe. A little bit. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe says I,
1: I don't trust that. <laughs> I think that's what's really making us nervous. We, we we don't we kind of know you well enough to not trust you. <laughs> there
2: you have it. You know, it's nearly Christmas we might not get any Christmas gifts unless we behave, so. Oh yeah, is good, is good that. point. There is that Why well, don't I mean on the website for UX podcast do you tell a bit about the backstory to how it all started? But um, it'd be nice to hear it from you guys. Who wants to tell a bit about how the idea for UX Podcast came about?
0: Well, I think all, all of these things have their origin story. And uh, it's funny because James and I met uh, the year before uh, we started UX Podcast. We'd known each other for less than a year, I think. Uh,
1: October, October 2010, yeah. I think we actually met. Um, we, we'd met online before yeah. that, but met in person was 2010. At a
0: TEDx <laughs> Stockholm event, actually. And I, by that time, I think I already had the uxpodcast.com domain name. Uh, and I knew I had tried starting podcasts before uh, and sort of failed. I would managed to do like seven episodes. Uh, and I realized the only way I can make this happen is if I do it together with someone so I can have someone help me h- help each other be accountable for doing it. Uh, and so after knowing James for a while, that was sort of on the table. And then we traveled to UXLX together in 2011.
1: But, Pa, you didn't actually... I don't think you ever mentioned the podcast to me um, before we went to UXLX in 2011.
0: Well, that's part of the origin story that I didn't. But (laughs) Ah. remember I found the email because I actually did want to figure it out. I did find an email where we talked about it just before UXLX as well.
1: Mm. Oh, Mm. you're Mm. right. I do have a vague memory of you Mm. pointing out that email to me, but I have no memory of the email itself.
3: Documentary evidence. Mm -hmm. It's
1: Mm. the worst kind.
0: But in the fun origin story, it wasn't actually until on the flight back, which is actually true because you were kind of wary around the idea of starting a podcast. You didn't know really what it entailed. Uh, It was on the flight back from UXLX, the conference in Lisbon that we started talking about, well, we should talk about our experience at the conference. And that could be like the first episode. Or so even th- the pilot episode.
1: Yeah, because we'd we'd had th- one of the things that was really, really a, a reoccurring and dominant conversation from from UXLX in, in Lisbon that year was was how many people and and or UXers were complaining about not being understood, not being heard, feeling frustrated mm. that you know the they they couldn't get beyond their silo yeah. of of user experience, and you know this was just so overwhelmingly dominant um, that. You know we, were, we, we just had to talk about it, we, to, we we had to continue the conversation and do so and try and do something about it.
2: Did you have the idea to interview people from the start, or did that kind of evolve
1: no we, i don 't think we intended to interview anyone at the beginning no, um,
2: then you got tired of speaking to yourselves so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i't I think we, I think we got tired then after about three episodes, um, so I think we had our first guest. Um, I think mean Jesper didn't he? D- he joined us on the ep- on the fifth, fifth episode, the yeah. fifth episode was it? The truth right. about
0: gamification.
1: But um, but no, we were just gonna we were just gonna talk and see how. Uh, this is the thing about the podcast we didn't have any we didn't have a format really strictly planned out when we when we started. We'd we'd mind mapped kind of like ideas and and maybe what we would do and structure and and so on. But we uh, uh, looking back, we did it very much like a kind of startup with with you know doing it very basic and very um simple for the first few episodes just to work out you know what what do we need to do how does it work
0: yeah um, will it work you, you <laughs> say simple but we did some complicated stuff in the beginning as well like we split each episode into three episodes to make them more easy to listen to like in chunks was our thinking so we had to so we had to well edit three episodes for each episode <laughs>
1: Well, that was based on a <laughs> yeah. hypothesis. I mean, the, our mm. idea was that, well, actually, I- it was a hypothesis or an argument. We, we couldn't work out what was the perfect length for a mm. podcast. And uh, I- rather than try and kind of guess it, our idea was, well, if we make it into 10-minute chunks, then you can either listen to a 10-minute chunk, or you can listen to a 20-minute chunk, or you can listen to a half an hour chunk, the full mm. episode, and you can make this fit into your life. No, it's wonderfully kind of user-centric when you think about it. Um, but um, but the, the effort needed to do it was um, quite yeah. high. I will say that what I do miss about doing that th- that those first few episodes when we had it in three chunks was we had a very, um, very, very good process around the structure and thought because we had like um, a 10-minute chunk when we talked about the topic. Mm. We kind of opened up. It's, like, it's almost like a diamond thing. We opened up and we went into something. Um, we um, dug deeper and then we concluded. So we had, um, we had three distinct phases to an episode.
0: That's very true. It's, it's very systematic, very structured, very user-centric in a way that maybe we have <laughs> not, not a, at least attempted to do in, in the same way. But it has grown progressively into something that becomes natural for us.
3: And when did, when did that happen? When do you fel- feel like you hit your stride? How many episodes does it take?
0: I remember, I remember me saying at when we were at From Business to Buttons, actually in May this year. I remember saying to James, "Wow, this feels like it comes by itself right now," and it, I didn't feel nervous at all, and I didn't feel like nothing, anything would fail. I was like, "Yeah, we can do this. We can start an interview with anyone at any time and just keep going." So that was around episode 160. <laughs> 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 and how many? Yeah, so it uh, takes
3: seven, seven years, or six years, and, uh-huh. and, and 150 episodes to yeah. get it right. Huh?
1: <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a little bit, um, kind of, I suppose, nicer to ourselves and say that I think it came, um, yeah. a bit quicker than that. I, I actually, I reckon, it probably came around about the time, um, I was probably, I'd say, about two years in. Because um, by two years in, then we'd uh, y- there was clearly some people listening. Um, you know, we'd 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 moved platform, um, we'd moved website, we'd we'd got we'd got kind of a, more of a structure to um, what we you know, generally what we did. You could feel there was a structure to it. We we uh, there was a baseline for what an episode was, and we were starting to interview people um, a lot more. Um, uh, there was a lot of pieces fell into place a- around that time. Um, but it always but it keeps on evolving I mean yeah you it's there is a there is a feeling of and you know, we feel comfortable mm-hmm. with doing it but it um it doesn't completely stay still
3: great, so I'm gonna ask you guys another question now a um, little bit of a shift of, of topic, which is so you have this amazing partnership that's been going on for seven a little bit eight years you've known each other it sounds like mm. uh and I want to ask each of you individually, what have you learned about the other person that you really admire? Something that you just look at them and go, wow, they're just really great at this. That was sort of a surprise to you. Not that you knew each other well, but just something that you look and Maybe it's a behavior that you wish you had yourself or something like that. So I don't know which one of you wants to go first, but... I'll, okay. I'll go first. Oh, this is easy for you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well yeah now i mean i've I say knowing Per now for um eight years and still never actually properly worked with him um in a in a professional you know in a, in a project mm-hmm. sense um but but something I really do admire with Meyer of Per is is how much he really really does care about people and and about the world i'd say the planet um i'd i'd say that me i'm i'm personally um, more aware and more caring about a lot of things, I think, than I probably was eight years ago, directly because of, of Pear's influence
0: on me. And wow. Pear? Thank you? you. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of going to latch on to that because I think that's the s- kind of symbiosis in our relationship. Sometimes we joke that, that uh, I, I'm emotional and, and uh, James uh, te- talks more about numbers uh, and I, I love qualitative testing and he loves quantitative. But he's when I'm way out there, James is the one who can bring me back to reality. He's the one who can d- do a reality check for me and say, well, this is fine and all that you're dreaming about all this, but let's figure out how we can do it now today and make it happen for real uh instead of just dreaming and and that and he brings me back a lot and also when often when we're doing the episodes and i think what you can think about it when you listen back james is quicker to understand what we're talking about so he can summarize and help me understand what we just talked about 10 minutes ago and help me realize that yes i deviated but we talked about something relevant, and he could summarize it and bring us back. So he, he helps me think. <laughs> he helps me understand what I'm thinking as well, which is really haf- uh, really cool, actually. Mm. I, th- I think, oh
1: yeah, that's, that's <laughs> really something that we, I mean, me and Pear actually talk mm-hmm. daily. Yeah. Or we, chat, we chat daily. And, and I think that's, that's something Buffers find useful is that we, we use each other as um, sounding boards and also as, as, as breaking devices and uh, encouragement for yeah. each other. It, it and has that's the thing.
0: That's the thing. When you work for yourself and you're a freelancer, uh, people often ask well, how you don't you feel alone. And I really don't because I ha- like I have James, and like James said, we talk every every day, and at any point of the day, seven days a week.
1: But mm. now at this point, it mm. would be wrong not to mention um, our wives, Ulrika and and Susie, yeah. um, <laughs> and not to mention um, Chris McCann as yes, well, who is part of uh, this group. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um that that team together that wider team is actually really important yeah
3: you're leading into the sort of my follow-up to this which is Mm. how has the podcast sort of extended into your personal lives and your friends now and your families probably know each other how does that work is it all just sort of one big podcast of love and happiness um you mentioned that you feel like you have a work partner someone you work with not only with the podcast but just professionally in life in in general so can you talk a little bit about your friendship and was that something that you thought would happen um or did it just kind of come about naturally
1: the 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 joking part of me now wants to say that oh we live in a swedish commune all of us together in one big house
3: (laughs) (laughs) well i want to believe that mm, so
1: (laughs) maybe we should just mm, go with that story pair what do you think yeah
0: definitely (laughs) definitely
2: that so makes me think of a Swedish movie where they're naked in the kitchen I can't remember exactly yeah cool to so that's, it, that's it essentially cool.
1: <laughs> yeah to a salmon. was it that one? Oh, maybe yes. yeah it might have been yes it might have been, yeah. might, have been, might have been no so we've never been naked in the kitchen uh, as a family okay. um, or families <laughs> um, <laughs> yet <laughs> this, you never know um, <laughs>
0: new goals here yeah <laughs> Twenty nineteen, here we come. We have but been swimming uh, together at at my summer house, so yeah, with trunks on. <laughs> yeah, with trunks okay. on, but we're close. I mean, mm.
1: <laughs> mm. <laughs> we've um, now we, you, you're right. The uh, the uh, the families do I- do know each other, and um, we we do we do have dinners together mm-hmm. and meet up occasionally. Um, but um, so uh, yeah, the it's there is a podcast
0: family in that sense, mm, I yeah. guess. And our kids have walked in on the podcast, I think, uh, one or two times each, uh, at least. Oh, it it must be more than that for Mm me. I mean, we've had many a time. My son, Lucas, (laughs) has appeared
1: (laughs) over my shoulder (laughs) in um, in the studio here and asked questions.
3: Mm. (laughs) Have you ever interviewed them? I don't think so.
1: No. Not on the the podcast, Mm -hmm.
3: no. I don't know. They're getting an age, and that might be actually, they might be good guests.
0: (laughs) That's actually a good point. It's a good idea. Yeah.
2: Future
3: episode. Uh-oh, write it down. Yeah, and that—that that I think leads into hmm. to question that Anna wants to ask about.
2: Yeah, the future of the podcast. Where is it kind of heading? What are you? Um, what What do you have in planned or have planned for the future?
0: Wow, <laughs> isn't two hundred enough?
2: <laughs> no.
0: So, thank you and good night. <laughs> I mean, let's start. Let's start with how we've looked at the goals of the podcast from the start. Because in the beginning, it was actually just us two having fun, and then we realized how much fun it was, and then we realized we had listeners, which w- was kind of mind blowing, and, and then we realized well, maybe we need to think about listeners more, th- in a user-centric sense, and then we n- realized well, to keep this going, we probably need some sort of financing, and and probably people would want to finance this. So we had some sponsors, and we had some. We tried to figure out how much it costs us to make make the show and realized that, wow, if you f- factor in how many hours we spend and how, much, how many hours could be spent on client work, then it's quite an expensive podcast to produce. But then we got tired of having sponsors and realized, well, we don't want any sponsors anymore because that doesn't make us feel good. That doesn't make us feel like we are really the people we want to be around we want to be uh neutral in in that sense uh and it, it just didn't feel right when we were both in in consensus about that right away when we decided that because it actually sometimes it just took more money to invoice because if you have a have to f- invoice someone in another country it can be a pain sometimes mm. uh, and then we now it's more like uh where do we take it from here? And we've talked about so many things about how do we do we need money to, to keep going? Uh, how much time do we have? Um, but we do know that we want the podcast to keep going. That's a big one.
2: I mean, this is kind of interesting. Podcast is mm. uh, something that's quite popular at the moment as well. So for anyone else out there who's kind of thinking about starting a podcast, like how much time do you reckon it takes to do one episode? I guess that it can vary based on based on the episode, but roughly, is there kind of a, a general... W-
0: well, let's well ask I'm the numbers guy, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I, think, um,
1: I think if you include um, all the people involved, because um, b- there's basically at least three people involved in doing each show, plus um, the person if we're interviewing, if we're mm-hmm. interviewing someone. But um, it's, it's probably around nine or ten hours mm-hmm. um, that we put into each episode, um, plus some time for a transcript if we get that done. But transcripts are a thing that we've never really managed to solve mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm. It's a real, it's a thing I feel really bad about. Um, but, um, but I'd say about nine, ten hours. Um, uh, s- thinking about what we're doing, planning, recording, producing, publishing, um, writing a little newsletter to go out, all those kind of things. Mm. It's about that. So, yeah. So I- I- publishing got social
0: s- media, yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I'd say I spend um,
0: half of Friday every week doing something podcast related mm. and then we're also talking about podcasts of course frequen- more frequently than that and then we have I mean in the beginning uh, I edited the podcast and now we have someone doing that for us but of course th- that's something we're paying for but a big shout out to our editor Remy as well because it's been fantastic to have him on and, and know that there's someone who's confident and doing just our podcast who's familiar with it and, and lo- loves to listen to it as well Yeah, he's the one person <laughs> who, who we know will listen to this yeah <laughs>
3: So, those those questions are all, I mean, answers are really interesting, and it kind of is, there's another question that maybe we can tie them together here, which is, you know, what do you all personally want to do individually? So, when you met, you weren't working together, right? And Mm. you sort of work in the same area and sort of don't, and I know both of you a little bit. James... Uh, better than pair only because James and I talked every Friday for a year, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to get something done that we didn't get done. But um, <laughs> just fine. Just we, we, we did
1: things <laughs> though. We we, 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 we did. did, things. did
3: we, we were supposed to be accountability mm. buddies mm. for me to start a pad podcast mm. and for for James to write a book and didn't actually work out, but we did talk a lot <laughs> and learn learn about <laughs> one, a lot of things. One, we, so, we should have, we should have recorded almost, every single conversation. I'm almost, I'm almost finished a second book and James is still doing a podcast. So I think we just ironed in that we both like to do what we like to do. But mm. um, Exactly.
1: I think we reaffirmed our, our original starting point.
3: That's exactly correct, which is good. But, yeah. but for you all personally, you know, just developmentally, I mean, people change over time and the things that you want to do change. And as you learn more and you probably have learned an extraordinary amount just because you do work and work with clients and help other people but also you interview all these amazing people who bring all of these rarefied ideas sort of right to your doorstep so it can't Mm -hmm. help but have some kind of impact on you what do you think about for the future individually um, as well as jointly
0: that's such a good question because yes the podcasts and the interviews and the people we meet so many of them i mean of course that influences you and impacts you and makes you a different person as well And for me, it's what brought me into this whole area of ethics that I'm doing a lot of work on now. Realizing that it is actually you, Lisa, who started that for me. You were on stage at UXLX, and I don't remember what year it was, but you were asking us in your keynote in the morning session, you were asking on stage, are you doing your best work? And that really stuck with me uh, because I started thinking about it intently for for the days after the conference what does that mean for me and that's when i started realizing how many of the things that we see when people are getting hurt by digital solutions and products are in fact caused by things that we help design because mm-hmm. as designers we actually are helping create the future and that brought me into this whole idea of maybe we should add friction sometimes and not just reduce friction. And then I realized, well, we need to th- think further than that. And people were, all, people were then by then criticizing Silicon Valley and having all these discussions around everything is wrong. But nobody was thinking about solutions, and that's what I wanted to spend s- more and more time on. How can we work differently? Because the way we're working now obviously isn't cutting it. All the w- things we've learned about Lean UX and, and Agile and the different methodologies we've heard about throughout the the episodes that we've, we've had for the podcast over the years despite all these techniques we're not fixing it we're not always doing the right thing they're not helping us doing the right thing we're, we're doing it efficiently but we're not necessarily doing something that creates a positive impact for the world so we need better tools to evaluate that and uh, as it happens in my research i've realized that there if you work in uh, aid uh and charities there are actually tools for that that could be incorporated into design so that's what I love working on w- when I started working on and thinking about ethics and doing talks around, around ethics I didn't think that many would be interested as it turns out a huge amount of people are mm-hmm. interested huge I'm just blown away by that and so I realized I, I want to spend more time on that which means I'm I'm working on a book around the ethics and design uh, aspect and Specifically, methodologies, processes, and, and tools that you can work into your everyday design work uh, to do that. So, that's that's what I want to spend my time on. And that, of course, also takes a lot of time, not something perhaps uh, that will provide any I- income for me necessarily. Uh, so, there's more. So, that, that's another hobby, s- sort of, so to speak, right now for me, besides having to do client work to pay for it all. <laughs> it's a lot. Mm. Yes.
3: And what about you, James?
0: There's been so
1: many, uh, but like Per says. I mean, we've talked to so many people, and um, a, a lot of them have had quite a big impact on on how I work. Um, it is, it's it's a, the whole thing's a journey. I mean, life's a journey, your work's a journey. And you know, when we started uh, back in 2011, it, it was it was just around the time when we started getting into, the, the whole idea of responsive web design kind of turned about. So we've we've kind of like travelled through. Um, how you start to think about the mobile in, in web design. We've, we've traveled through the, the the optimization thing where kind of like conversion rates and kind of using psychological techniques to push people and then backing off from all some of these things and kind of taking a step back and ethics start to come into it and the, the design leadership and management comes into it. And all this kind of like is, is, is playing in and, and coming into how you think and how you work with your client work. Um, and i mean i've uh, i can i can say there's several interviews that i know d- you know definitely impacted on how i how i think and behave when i'm working um i've also the 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 work i've been doing with analytics um that that kind of the well the realization that one of my specialisms is um the the the, quali- the quantitative side of of um, uh, research comes from the podcast and when we interviewed um um it was Oh, Mike, um, Mike Baisley um, in 2015, um, he'd written a book about Google Analytics, and talking to him made me really realize um, how much I knew about it and how, and how many issues there are around um, our decision, decision-making with um, quantitative data that isn't maybe as solid as we like to think it is. Um, we d- we, there's a lot of talk in openness about how algorithms are affecting um, our, our behavior, our, our voting patterns, how we live our lives. Um, but I still think this this less this far too little focus on on how we interpret data and how we use some of the tools around data as designers, um, and how the the decisions based on those tools. Um, well, w- what the what the true nature of the data is and what what data what decisions we maybe are making incorrectly due to incorrectly interpreted mm-hmm. data mm-hmm. all of this all of these kind of things play into how you work um so i i mean i've grown i've grown a huge amount as um as, as a professional during the years with the podcast
3: so how do you see those things it's interesting because what you all are both describing that you're interested in and how you're moving personally are directly related to the things that you both admire about the other, right? It's just leaning into that attribute of just sort of, <laughs> right? Am I that's right? That's true. Yeah, yeah. You're leaning into, so you all know yeah. each other really, really well, yeah. which is really, I guess that's what happens after mm. seven years, but it's really mm. great to hear, mm. to hear and see. Um, so how is this all going to play out for the podcast? Next year, the year after, you have all this work that you want to do um, in these other areas. As you mentioned, Pair not all paid. How's that going to work out? How are you going to balance it all
0: out? I have told James now twice, uh, I, can't, I can't keep doing the podcast. Uh, and he has managed to, to keep me on. <laughs> <laughs> I think, when was the first time? Is, is that two years ago, I think? Yeah, two years ago.
1: A year and a half, yeah.
0: maybe. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and uh, because uh, I realized, well, I need time to write my book, uh, and I was actually I was telling my clients now I'm gonna I'm gonna stop doing some work for you and I'm gonna start spending time on the book, and and James came up this fantastic plan for, uh, well, this is how we can actually fit the podcast into your book writing and we interview guests that are relevant to the to the <laughs> your topic. Very uh, smart. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> so that was really good, and then I. <laughs> Six to n- eight nine months later, I realized. Well, I still haven't <laughs> gotten anything really written here, <laughs> <laughs> and I told James again. Well, well, I knew this this was coming. Is almost what you said, wasn't it? He wasn't surprised at all. Well, uh, no, exactly. I, yeah. d- I didn't.
1: The first time I was the first time yeah. I was kind of I was fearful that Per said he wanted to yeah. stop because I yeah. really wasn't uh, yeah. wanting to do it. The second time Per said he wanted to stop. Um, I was much more mentally prepared for it, mm. and and I and I, I had a plan. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so have you
1: listened Go to on. him now? Go on, tell us about the plan. Well, one of the plans is because if we if we look back, if we look on again, why why we keep doing this and why we don't want the podcast to to stop still is that what what we started realizing, I started noticing, is. There's a, there's a generation of, of designers, of user experience designers out there, or even people who work with the web who have been listening to the show pretty much all of their professional lives hmm. and, and we get we get, met, we get emails from people we get met at conferences and things and people come up and, and make me feel really uncomfortable by, by bringing reality into the show and, and saying, oh god you, you made such a difference during my years as a student or you made such a difference during my f- years of, of becoming a UXer and so on you, you kind of you realise that there are people out there who are really, really finding a, a genuine benefit from the c- content you're producing, and I didn't want that to just stop. Um, it, th- there's there's no there's no direct replacement, I don't think, for it at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I mean, there are other great podcasts. Don't get me wrong, um, but there are there are very few. They're very. There are a lot less from Europe. A lot of them are American, mm-hmm. and and I, I like to think we give a we give a more of a worldwide balance to the, to the podcast the U.S. experience podcast scene. Um, so so my my hope and intention is I'll try and twist Pear's arm into doing as many episodes as he possibly can uh, um, next year. Mm. Um, but um, on top of that, the idea is like this show, that we'll have uh, a pool of very competent and excellent co-hosts um who will who will join me um for some of the shows and hopefully that will be i mean
0: you co- couldn't possibly replace page but <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> and ever since you started talking about this what the impact i mean it's it's so hard sometimes to understand how many people listen to the podcast but when people i mean there Whenever I speak at events, people always come up to me afterwards now and say, I listened to the show and it's really good. And Just that ins- insight that you are actually impacting people, and now y- that makes me now feel, after talking to Jay, feel a sense of responsibility for it as mm. well. That You can't just stop doing that because it actually helps people. and And at the same time, I'm helping someone doing something I enjoy, which is fantastic. So every time someone comes up to me now, it's like, that uh, pushes a needle into me and says damn you James you're making me think of this again and I realize that we we have to we have to keep it going
3: yeah it also sounds like mm. it feeds both of you yes it can be sort of time consuming mm. but it feeds you both intellectually right yes. and so that's mm. yeah. something that is difficult to unplug it's it's di- particularly mm. when you work on your own right mm. just being able to interact with a lot of different people yeah you can go to a conference every now and then but um, you know that's not the same as just having these one-to-one conversations there's
2: regular ones as well but it's a slight side note i think that responsibility or the feeling responsibility is quite a nice one which plays into what you're working with as well parry in terms of ethics because there's a lot of companies and startups and services online at the moment that end up shutting down and people have integrated them into their lives and all of a sudden they don't exist anymore so i think it's Mm. it's nice that you kind of feel the sense of that you want to keep it going and that's people who actually want to listen into the episodes.
0: And we have actually had a guest on, of course, that has talked I- about exactly what you're saying. Mm. Jo- Joe, McLeod, McLeod, who's written the book ends, ends yeah. talking, talking, talking exactly about your responsibility for making the exit something mm. that is also a good experience. Absolutely. And, and,
1: that is a, mm. and that is actually something that every time we've kind of talked mm. about, um, what do we do with the podcast? Um, Uh, joe's book and the conversation we had Mm. comes up and and that's Mm. that's exactly the thing that happens constantly with me that whenever someone asks a question Mm. at work or Mm. generally i can i can think back to an interview we've done or an episode we've Mm. done and um yeah that that um it's it's a gym for the brain Mm. Is doing these podcasts yeah
3: now i listen to ux podcast and i hate to say it but i'm not a uxer Right. And so one of the fascinating things is it's just the broad range of topics that you all address. I mean, when I was scrolling, preparing for this talk and sort of scrolling through episodes and looking, it used to be much more tightly focused on what we would consider to be, you know, classical US UX topics if there's such a thing. So don't argue about that. I know defining UX is the argument everyone Mm. loves to have at (laughs) events, Mm. but but. Your topics have gotten broader, and so I, you know, I know I have I have a lot of colleagues who have named things after a discipline, and then later on gone, eh, maybe that wasn't such a great idea. So mm-hmm. everything that you're talking about, do you consider that all to be UX in the podcast? Do you, what What do you think's going on on there um, for you all?
0: For me, that ties very well to what james was saying why how we started the podcast when everyone was was talking about complaining about how everything was a silo but even ux was a silo Mm -hmm. so we actually did start with the thinking that we start a ux podcast that is about much more than ux because everything is ux everything is tied to the experience nothing can be said to not influence how i I perceive and experience a product or service so just bringing so we realized that we could basically talk about any topic uh and have it be within the umbrella of ux i think and do yeah
1: mm. yeah mm. It, it has broadened out as we've been i mean we we there's a community out there and we we get a feeling from the community maybe about what we should talk about and or we we notice when we're we're, we're observing the industry ourselves what topics come up and um, and I guess we've got the confidence now to, to take on some of these topics. Mm. Um, I mean, six, seven years ago, maybe we wouldn't have dared have some of the
0: um, conversations that we've had in in the last couple of years. Right, like mental health and right. civic design. Well, actually, one of our most popular episodes that we did quite early on was the one about uh, helping out, James, the topic of uh, when you uh, feel like... Uh, impo- Imposter syndrome. Uh, imposter syndrome. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, hugely popular episode, of course, among lots of people who had no connection to UX. Uh, but so many actually talked to us after that and said, "Oh, I recognize myself so much in the imposter syndrome."
3: That's fantastic. Mm. So, Anna, you have any more questions mm. for these guys? Are we going to let them off the hook, or do you think we should talk more. Them a little longer? Gone a little bit longer <laughs> I actually want to
2: know like looking back you must have you got the stats for you know the imposter syndrome episode being the most popular ones but do you guys have a personal favourite ones that stood out either yeah. because it's of you know someone that you've interviewed that you really were looking forward to interviewing or a topic that you covered or a conversation that maybe took a different direction or I don't know a favourite episode in, in essence
1: sense. oh I I think one of the one of the most memorable. There's so many memorable ones. I mean, ge- generally, I've I've loved the episodes that we've done as more spontaneous conversations, uh, often at conferences, um, where we've had two people who maybe don't join, don't talk about their normal thing, but we've sat together and we've had a a, a discussion, um, and we've had some excellent discussions in that kind of format um, mm. over the years, um, but. As if it was one particular conversation, I think the um, the conversation we had with um, Alan Cooper.
3: Yeah, that was uh, a
1: good one. Oh, yeah, that was was heavy. Mm. Yeah, Um, I I I honestly Mm. didn't expect Alan to uh, open up as much Mm. as he did during that interview. Um, So so I felt felt a great deal of responsibility with you know managing that conversation and and producing those podcasts. Mm. It was a really
0: really important couple of shows. That's so true i have to say that uh when people ask me that question i often return to our episode with uh, whitney hess and i think that's partly because i had followed her for such a long time i had been looking forward to interviewing her she also made it to sweden so we actually interviewed her face to face Uh, but she we talked to her about coaching and she had shifted from ux to coaching uh, at that point and i was hugely interested in coaching uh, and uh, there's one thing she said during that uh, interview that al- I always remember. It was she was talking about how do I go get away from just doing interaction design and prototypes and going more into strategy and the coaching work that I want to do. And what she realized was that what she said these words, I just stopped doing it. So mm. And it's right. just like, oh, yeah, sometimes it is that easy. You just stop that's doing right. the things you don't want to do. Uh, and, of course, it's not always that simple. it's, it's Sometimes that comes fr- from a, a level of privilege as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that related to coaching for me was, well, that's something I want to help people do, to realize how they can take small steps towards the things that they want to achieve. And actually, just two months after we, uh, we interviewed her, I started uh, a coaching course so I stu- studied coaching for for uh, for the uh, during the autumn there, and that completely changed uh, how I work as well uh, so so her influence on me was huge so that her influence on me was bigger than the episode, a lot bigger than the episode yeah that that mm-hmm. episode mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. Uh, f- f- uh, f- uh,
1: monumental in yeah. that i know I know that it changed um, yeah cha- it changed your course of direction mm. but um, but it even made me realize about how almost <laughs> Almost everything we do um, with, with design it has kind of a coaching element to it, or yes. it's, it's communication and coaching. Mm. Um, the kind of scribbling things down on whiteboards mm. or paper and so on is is just a it's just a passing artifact. Um, the other aspects are, are actually much more relevant.
3: Yeah, I mean it's interesting mm. because as we do more and more in the digital space, and it merges, right? and integrates with sort of our real world, whatever that is, um, situation. (laughs) Mm. I think people in the digital space are just, from a maturity perspective, starting to realize how impactful what they do is, you know, what these activities are. And so, Per, when you're talking about, you know, turning to coaching or whatever, there's all kinds of disciplines where all these things are just going to merge together. And so to the extent that someone who has UX intelligence or, When I'm working with digital teams people who have are have digital intelligence can permeate these other disciplines will be that will be very helpful Mm -hmm. right bringing that knowledge to the discipline of coaching um even subtly is gonna I think gonna make a huge difference so be Mm -hmm. interesting to see where you all are on episode four (laughs) Mm.
1: four hundred still still breaking down silos still breaking
3: down silos still so where do you think you are going to be seven years from now and UX podcast? What types of things are you going to be talking about? What's going to be different?
1: Oh, you know, what's, what's really interesting about that question is, we've, we've just been discussing this last week or so, the idea of doing an episode pretty much about just that. Where, where will design be in 10 years time? Or seven or eight years mm-hmm.
3: time? A time capsule. Uh,
1: yeah, because we we get we get a lot of these sh- um, you know this time of year especially you get a lot of these articles saying about how you know the design trends for twenty nineteen and these are the things you're going to be doing in twenty nineteen, and it's all nonsense really. But um, but I think you 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 could maybe take a st- that bigger step back and say okay, how will it be in ten years time? And that's that's mm. a useful useful coaching exercise as well. Mm. I've avoided answering the question. I was about well. to say, <laughs> but you, you didn't. You didn't.
3: You didn't tell us where it's going to be. Oh, or I think
1: Pear maybe can answer that question.
3: <laughs> yeah, Pear's a touchy-feely one. He has the, yeah. the. There are no numbers around this, so James can't so, can't give an answer. Exactly. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, I always hope uh, and think that we will actually find our way back to 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 being another type of creature as humans in our relationship to the digital and we will be better at coping with the digital world and i think we are experiencing a backlash right now because people are starting to realize uh, still i mean the digital world is so young i mean the internet is a really young industry Uh, and we are still trying to learn how to behave around it and and we just need to figure that out i think as we figure it out i mean The the big difference from when I started blogging back in 98 is that today everybody's online and everybody's trying different stuff. And sometimes you can get frustrated with, don't you understand how this can be harmful to you if Mm you click on that link? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think in 10 years, people will understand why it's harmful to click that link, which means that they will also be making demands on the behavior of companies and organizations so that they have to behave better. Because people will understand the impact that they're having on their own lives. Yeah. And I, I want to add to mm. that as well mm. that I think a, a major thing
1: mm. we're going to see in the, the coming 10 years, mm. and we've already seen it mm. if looking back 10 years, that legislation will come into force yes. more and more. Mm. Because we, you know, we, we, aren't, we clearly aren't capable of handling this ourselves. Mm. And you know we've we've had GDPR, you we've know, privacy kind of laws. We've had cookie laws. We've had accessibility laws. There are there are laws coming in, mm. um, and they're they're still kind of the first versions of a lot of these laws. But in ten years' time, when all this accelerates, and we, as Per says, we we start to realise ourselves, there's there's going to be a wave of legislation which uh, might be which in some ways will be a good thing. In some ways, it mm. will it will restrict our challenges in a way that we've not had to deal with before.
3: Yeah, I mean, the the idea and the concept of digital safety for me is one that I've been looking at a lot. And when you look at technology, and how it's been adopted, which is usually over a 50 to 100 year span, right? One of the key inflection points is when it starts to be regulated. It's what allows it to scale safely. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really Mm -hmm. have that in place for digital and the EU in particular is much better right, about putting those sorts of things in place than mm. over here in the in the U.S. I think we'll see that. People grump and complain about it, but I would wonder if there's any technology that has not eventually been regulated. You know, it just, that's just how it goes. In large groups of people, mm. you have to have rules.
0: Oh, and, that, and that's true, but what I'm seeing as well now, and I'm thinking a lot about it, is, well, yes, we can regulate and we can, but how do we make sure that the regulations are enforced yep. because the the impact that just a single company with five people can have on millions and thousands and or even billions of people is so huge and so many of people can work in a way that isn't visible always. So it's there can be a lot of negative impact be some, before someone even realizes. And just bringing that to attention to legislators and having that that legislation being enforced, I think that I mean we're not seeing that happening because I, I'm like I tweeted today with GDPR. Sure, we have GDPR now, but people are misbehaving anyway and they're not. nothing's happening really. I'm waiting for something to happen to help people realize this is what we have to do. It's not enough that I actually put a warning on my website and then not care about people. I actually have to start caring about people. And that's the change I want to see happen.
2: And this kind of brings it back to breaking down mm-hmm. silos as well. Personally, I don't think that ever that job is never going to be done, so to speak, but like... Mm. Going back into ethics and making sure that all of us are doing something that's good, and that we have those hard conversations for every single project, even if it's just a tiny bit of extra data capture, feel or whatever it is that people want to want to add in, that we dare to say no. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: Yes, yep. Yeah. We have to be more honourable um, mm. in in the work, um, and, and like Lisa says, you know, are you doing your best work? How are, are, are you prepared to say no to some things, mm. um, even though? At the point you say no, it might feel like you're paying quite a price for saying no.
3: Well, the thing is, the, the price of not saying no is that you end up with crazy regulation, right? Mm. So yes. you end up, you yes. end up with politicians mm. writing mm. regulations for things mm. because we as an industry chose not to operationalize something well or operationalize something in an ethical manner. And so mm. that's the part that's really a shame. And I think a lot of people who work in the UX space... Um, just aren't thinking about that. I mean, you hear, hear words like delight and you know, all, all of these others, which is great, but we also have to keep people safe, right? And so I think a lot of that's just a maturity issue, and it's gonna change over time. I, I also think just demographically, I mean, we're all 10 years older than we were 10 years ago, mm. and 10 <laughs> years from now, what an executive C-suite looks like will probably be full of people who, if not digital natives, are digitally savvy right? That's yes, going yes. to make it, that's going mm. to make a huge mm. difference. I think I'm the oldest person on the phone. I'm 50, I'll be 55 next year. And so I started my career in digital in when I was 30, right? Mm-hmm. And so most of the people who work in the space are younger than I am. So they're just starting to come into their professional prime. So I think mm. that's all good news, right, going forward. And and we're really looking forward to seeing what you all are going to be doing Um Together, because you're going to stay together. Because Anna and I have decided that's how it's going to be. (laughs) And there's going to be UX podcast 400, 600, and and then the retirement episode where you hand it off to your children. Mm. Oh, that'd be that'd be nice.
1: UX podcast, the next generation. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, it is kind of funny. I never thought we would do 100 episodes. And I think we talked on the 100th episode about will we be have the energy to do 100 more? Yeah, probably, maybe. And now we're here. And now today it feels a lot easier to imagine that, yes, there will be an episode 400 uh, because it's uh, such an integrated part of our lives
3: see James your plan worked
0: there we go it's <laughs>
1: devious and cunning as ever
3: well wonderful well it was it was really great talking to you all and thank you for um, having us be guests to
2: talk to you yeah thank you
0: thank you for being hosts of the show yeah fantastic thank you so much
2: Hi, this is Alyssa Briggs. Congratulations on your 200th episode, and thanks for all the work that you guys do for the UX community. Hi, this is Donna Lishow, and I want to wish you a happy 200th episode. Hey everybody, this is Jamie Levy, and I wanted to wish James and Kirk congratulations on their 200th episode of their UX podcast, and everybody, a very Merry Christmas.
0: Hi there, this is Chris Nossel. From episodes 86, 121, and 136, congratulations, guys, on the 200th episode of the UX Podcast. And here's to many, many more. Uh, the UX Podcast, 200 episodes. I'm excited. I'm feeling a lot of admiration for Per and James. It takes a lot of staying power to, to pull off 200 of such high quality with
2: fantastic guests, including even once I believe, myself. This is Lou Rosenfeld. My hat's off to you, James and Per. Great job. Looking forward to the next 200.
0: Hey, this is Melissa Perry, and I want to send a big congratulations on your 200th episode of UX Podcast.
3: Hi, it's Steve Portugal from California saying congratulations and thank you for 200 episodes of UX Podcast.
1: Hello, UX Podcast listeners. This is Whitney Hess of episode 110. Congratulations on 200 episodes. That is quite an achievement. Looking forward to hearing many more.
2: Hi, this is Tom Griever. Thanks for listening to a very exciting 200th episode of UX Podcast. If you'd like to hear 200 more in the future, then share it with your friends, like it on social media, post a review in the podcast player of your choice. I know James and Per will appreciate it because otherwise they have no idea if what they're making is valuable for you. Plus, let's face it, they really deserve a pat on the back for all the hours they've spent with diva artists, nerdy intellectuals, and human behavior experts who were probably just picking apart their every move. Thanks, James and Per, for your contribution to our community. We are all better because of you.